Good morning and welcome to this edition of Get Your Love On Radio, where you will find lots of friends here. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. And that's that's the only reason we show up every week, is to share God's love through the truth of his word. And, you know, God wants to launch each one of us into this beautiful life of faith, into a new dispensation, into new expectations, new hopes, pure love, pure faith, and all good things. That's what God wants for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I also want to say welcome because this show and the podcast and the website, everything we do is for your soul to feed your soul. And it will never cost you a dime. I have to say that because there are so many uh, so-called ministers and teachers out there that rope you in and, and want to say, oh yeah, buy this, buy that, buy this. I'll mentor you for a convenient fee of $695. $695 to be so-called mentored by a so-called minister. Nope, not happening here. Get Your Love on Radio is always free, will always be free, and will always feed your soul the truth of God's word. So I just wanted to get that out there because it is so disheartening to see how many people are trying to profit off the word of God. And that's not, that's not right. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to have it and, and then decide for ourselves. Here's here, freely give, freely receive. That's how the Lord works. So we've got an incredible show for you. And if it's up to you whether or not you stay for the full two hours. If you do, it will change your life. This show, and I'm, that's not an exaggeration. That's not an overstatement in any way, shape, or form. Today's show will change your life forever, and I'm excited to say that because that's what we have to offer here. That's the incredible magnitude of God Almighty and the truth of his word. It is forever life-changing, just like that. As soon as it hits the ears of a soul that has been looking and searching and crying out for the truth, God's going to change your life forever, my friends. God wants to launch a new thing in your life. He wants to launch your true life. And it's really interesting because the Lord showed me this. And and our message today from our wonderful friend, Trish, it's about how God launched the disciples after Christ resurrected and then went to be with the Father and gave them specific instruction. And it's a beautiful message about how life actually changes and how God actually, in very real terms, teaches us and instructs us so that we can accept and live in that beautiful, life-changing Holy Spirit. And so that's what we have for you today. I'm going to give you a little intro, though, because the Lord was showing me, you know, there's a lot of news about rockets being launched right now. So I went to the NASA website to learn about what it is when a rocket launches, because God wants to launch our life the same way we can see rockets launching. So we can learn something about that. Well, according to the NASA website, it says, quote, the propellants give the rocket enough energy to boost away from Earth's surface because of the pull of Earth's gravity, largest, heaviest spacecraft need the biggest rockets and the most propellant. So in order for a rocket to launch, it's got to have propellant. 
in order for our lives to launch into that beautiful life of faith that God has for us, we need propellant. It's called the Holy Spirit. If you want to escape the world's influence, the lies, the shame, the confusion, God has the propellant, the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the book of Jude. We'll start in chapter 1, and we'll go to verse 17. It says, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Yes, there are mockers, plenty of them. So-called Christians and those who denounce any sort of faith, every kind of of faith and denounce God even exists. Those mockers are out there and and they're vocal right now. And because of social media, they have a particularly um, aggressive and efficient form of communication. So those mockers are there and they're walking after their own ungodly lusts. So it seems to me that it's important for us as spirit-filled Christians, as those who want God in our life, as those who want to be launched by God Almighty, we should probably be able to identify who these mockers are, who's walking after their own ungodly lusts. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to be able to, to, to discern that within the Christian world, the so-called Christian world, look at who's asking you to pay them money for their teachings. That's a, that's a fairly reasonable key. Okay, that that, you know, there's no reason to do that. So if if you're part of a ministry, if you are a minister that is doing that, ask God for the right solution, because that's not right. And then, of course, there's plenty of mockers who are beyond the the Christian world that are also walking after their own ungodly lusts. And the Lord will show you who they are, too. And it says in verse 19, it says, these be they who separate themselves sensual not having the spirit. So that's, that's again, that sensualness is a natural mindedness, only able to perceive with the natural senses, and they don't have the Holy Spirit. So again, this is really important knowledge. It's really important teaching to seek those who do have the Holy Spirit, who walk by the Spirit, who minister by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have more teaching on that later today as well. There's a really incredible contrast that our wonderful friend Trish illustrates for us. This message is so anointed that it it clarifies so much for our souls. So please do stay tuned for it and um And watch how the Lord launches you and launches new understanding in your life. All right, let's go to, we're in Jude 1. Let's go to verse 20. It says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Wow, that message, that scripture right there is so packed with incredible instruction. So for more on building yourselves in the holy faith. For more on praying in the Holy Ghost, please go to getyourloveon.org. We have wonderful Bible studies. Again, no charge, totally free. Never going to ask for a dime. Getyourloveon.org. We have these Bible studies. You can 
take you can print them offline and then spend your time and going through, okay, Lord, how do I build myself up in, in my most holy faith? How do I pray in the Holy Ghost? Because this is key right here. It says, but ye. How do we ensure that we are separate from those who are sensual, who from those who don't have the spirit? Okay, number one is by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, according to verse 20. And then according to verse 21, this is awesome. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay on that rocket that he's launched. Stay on it. It's a high adventure. Trust the Holy Spirit and that propellant behind that rocket and stay on it. And it says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That mercy is shown to one another. That mercy is shown by giving the truth of God's word. Oh my, people are so sick and tired of being lied to. They want the truth. And and by looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to give the truth to those receptive ears, to those that want it. It says in verse 22, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Okay, you're going to hear more about this today, too, from our wonderful friend Trish. How to identify how the flesh talks and how it interacts versus how the Holy Spirit talks and what it accomplishes. So again, stay tuned. You'll hear more of this today. But yeah, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. That's how vehement God is about keeping us protected and separate from that sensual, natural mind. He's intent on it. And it says here, this is a wonderful scripture. Jude 1 verse 24. It says, Now unto him, speaking of God Almighty, that is able to keep you from falling. Did you know that God Almighty is certainly able to keep you from falling? God Almighty has given us the Holy Spirit and is able to keep us from sinning. Yes, my beloved friends, that is true. It says right here, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. How many people have heard this before? Let's share this with them. That no longer are we required to maybe make it, maybe not. Oh, fall down, get up, fall down, get up. No, walk forward in grace. Walk forward in confidence. God is able to keep you from falling. Keep walking forward. (laughs) I love that. I love how strong God Almighty is. And he is able to keep you from falling. This is very personal. This is very direct. And this is very wonderful. And furthermore, why does he want to keep you from falling? Because, the end of verse 24, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It says in verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, through the Holy Spirit, that's what God gave us. That's why Christ came, died on the cross, resurrected. And again, you're, you're going to hear more about that today, about how Christ gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. By doing so, 
We receive it. We yield to the Holy Spirit. And it shows us how to prevent ourselves from following. From falling. Why? Because God's Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So when it says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, that's speaking of God Almighty. And that's speaking of the Holy Trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit is able to keep us from falling. And then, yes, presenting us in his glory with exceeding joy. Man, it's so precious. Thank you, Lord, for this word going out across the globe. Let's go to Acts 13, because in these scriptures, there's a real key, too, about how to be launched in the Holy Spirit. We'll go to Acts 13, verse 2. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Well, if it's good enough for Barnabas and Paul, it is good enough for me. And it's good enough for each of us to say, Lord, can you separate me for the work whereunto you have called me? Lord, I know you're personal. I know you're very individual. And I know you have a work for me, for my personality, for my experiences. Lord, can you separate me out for that work? (laughs) All you need to do is, is say that and the Lord will do the rest. That's how awesome God is. It said right here. Let's go to verse three. It said, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, this is speaking of the rest of the disciples laying their hands on Barnabas and Saul and all praying in that unity of the spirit, all praying for that perfect orchestration of God in their lives, they sent them away. Yeah, they went forward. They took action. They didn't sit on this knowledge. They didn't kind of go, well, maybe it's for me. Nope. They sent them away. And in verse four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So isn't that awesome that there's this very simple orchestration of God, very incredible anointing that, by the way, changed all of human history because of their willingness to be sent forth on that work that God called them to. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it is to be launched by the Holy Spirit. So NASA's website also says, so we know that that a rocket requires propellant, and now we know how the Holy Spirit is God's holy propellant to launch a life into a world-changing work, a, a humanity-changing work, which was the case of Apostle Paul, who was uh, then named Saul, and then he became Apostle Paul. So yeah, that is incredible, that that propellant of the Holy Spirit is is awesome. And according to the the NASA website, asks a really good question. Once a rocket launches, will it keep going? Once it has that propellant go, will it keep going? Hmm. Well, let's ask that same question. Once a Christian accepts the Holy Spirit, will they just always have it? Will they just keep going? Well, According to NASA's website, if we're going to look at rockets first, it says Earth's gravity is still pulling down on the rocket. So when a rocket burns propellants and pushes out exhaust, that creates the force called thrust. To launch, the rocket needs enough propellant so that the thrust pushing the rocket up is greater 
than the force of gravity pulling the rocket down. So just like the Holy Spirit will launch our life and give us this faith and hope and love and joy and and you're, we're walking, leaping and praising God when we get the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's also up to us to keep that going because Earth's gravity, that nature of the world is pulling against us. So we have to keep walking in the Holy Spirit or the pull of the world, those habits, that natural mind, they're just going to keep pulling us down into the sphere of influence. Isn't that an interesting analogy? You can kind of imagine like if a rocket had all the propellant, but it was still too attached to the infrastructure that was holding it up. What would happen? Nothing good. That rocket has to be totally separated from that apparatus and have that propellant in order to get beyond Earth's atmosphere. So uh, that's something that we need to take on, too, for our lives. You know, we, we can't allow the infrastructure of this world, the hangers on, that to, to continue to be connected to us. We must fully separate from the world. But the good news is, once we choose that, and it is a choice for us, we get to say, well, Lord, I want to fully, I want, launch me, Lord, (laughs) just launch me. And that means I'm going to allow that natural apparatus and those natural constructs around us to be gone, to totally be free from them. Once we choose to separate from the world and fully walk in the Holy Spirit, and again, you'll hear more about that today, we can rest assured that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate us from God Almighty. The choice is ours to make. And once we make it, God does the rest. Romans 8, let's go to verse 33. It says, Who shall I lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. (laughs) You know, this world has all sorts of rules and regulations and reasons that people aren't good enough. God is saying, why are you listening to that? I say you are good enough. When you're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to hear more about that today, God declares you fully his son or daughter, 100%. And then when we receive the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit of God. We have Christ within our hope of glory. God sees his son, Jesus Christ, walking through us. So who cares what the world has to say? God's opinion, God's ways That's the only thing that matters. The world is just this false apparatus holding up different rockets. And God is saying, if you'd separate from that apparatus, I will launch you into a new atmosphere that is free from the world's rules and regulations and obligations and stupidity. Let's call it what it is, my friends. Man, this world is really stupid. The hypocrisy that's all around, the dumb rules, the irrational decision-making, it's really dumb. 
So if you just want to be free from all that stupidity and march forward in the confidence of God Almighty, he's got you. He's got you. Let's go to Romans 8 verse 35. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These are all very real situations and circumstances that Apostle Paul saw himself in. That's why it's so important to slow down when we're reading the Holy Scriptures, when we're reading our word, and when we're taking that time before the Lord. It's so important to slow down and just realize that the author of this lived this. And we get to understand the powerful lessons without living through this same level of persecution and nakedness and peril and sword. So my wonderful, beloved friend, let's do that. Let's take this in, slow ourselves down, take it in and say, oh, Paul, thank you so much because he lived tribulation distressed to the nth degree. He was beaten. He he was stoned and they thought he was dead. So they tossed him outside. (laughs) He was stoned and they thought he was dead. So distress, he he knows about distress. Persecution, yes. Famine, nakedness, peril or sword, absolutely. Let's not forget the question though. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All these different circumstances at extreme levels, It says, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Again, this was very personal that Paul, Apostle Paul experienced. Let's see what verse 37 has to say. It says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38 For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we say, Lord, I want all of you, I want to be separated from this world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Comes down to our choice whether we allow God to launch us into that new life because he wants to or whether or not we're going to say, no, um, I think I like the way I look at things. I want to do things my way. <laughs> it's our choice. And again, you're going to hear from our beautiful friend and minister Trish how incredible it is when we do allow that launching of God Almighty in our life, people look at you and say, whoa, what's so different about you? Well, I know Christ. I'm walking, I'm walking in the Spirit. Do you want to know more about that? Because you can. And by the way, it's free. Did I mention that? <laughs> it's always free. I love the Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Thanks so much for everything you do in each one of our lives. It's awesome. So once we choose, okay, yep, I want God. 
let's hear how to separate ourselves from the world because the word gives us the answers. And my friends, the word always gives us the answer. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. We'll start chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Unequally yoked. So a yoke holds two things together. It binds around you. And, you know, the Lord says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's how you know you're walking in the Holy Spirit. Because it's easy and you do feel very light. There's such a joy. There's Even in the face of persecution, even if you're going through uh, some challenges, there's just a joy that that wells up in you. There's a, just a profound peace that God gives you that is unexplainable. And that's how you know you're, you're yoked to Christ is because that peace that passeth understanding is just there all the time. But when, when unequally yoked with unbelievers, there's going to be wrangling because you're trying to launch and take off using the propellant of the Holy Spirit and you're going to feel stuck. That's what happens. There's a stuckness to it. So that's, that's when it's time to evaluate and say, well, Lord, well, how do I become yoked only to you? I want your yoke that's easy. I want your easy yoke, Lord. Show me how to get it. And it's true. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Um, unrighteousness doesn't understand righteousness. So if there's people in your life that just don't understand you, well, it's Probably because you're walking, you're walking with the Lord. You're walking in righteousness, and they can't understand that. But the good news is, as we walk forward in that Holy Spirit, with that incredible example of confidence and and graciousness before God Almighty, peradventure, if they're the Lord's, they will come to understand it. And through your example, when they see your life launch into this new, exciting life of faith. They, they'll want to get launched too. Guarantee you. <clears throat> it says, And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath, hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Good questions. <clears throat> For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we believe God is exactly who he says he is, we get all these promises. And it says in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out and be ye separate. Allow God and through the Holy Spirit to launch your life. Allow that apparatus that's holding that rocket up, holding that rocket back to just fall away. Because sometimes rockets do launch. But there's parts of that apparatus hanging on. And generally speaking, it's not a good picture. So when we allow that total separation, just, you know, Lord, you handle all of it. And choose all of God. 
that launch happens and there's no turning back. It is an incredible thing that God does for each one of us. And it's also an incredible thing. You know, a lot of people have been taught that they're always going to be a sinner. The problem is sin actually separates us from God. So when we read our word, it's very clear that God wants to restore our relationship. God doesn't want any separation, none. So let's read Hebrews 7 and learn about how to be free from sin. And again, we have a wonderful message today that will further illustrate this. And we have a lot of really in-depth teaching as well at getyourloveon.org. So do make yourself available to that. And and um, again, it'll never cost a dime. We're not going to ask for anything. We just want you to know that you can be free from sin. Here's Hebrews 7 verse 24. This is incredible scriptures. But this man, speaking of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Christ is exactly who he says he is. God is exactly who he says he is. Unchangeable. That means no matter what anybody says, God is who he says he is. Christ is who he says he is. That simple. It says in verse 25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth ever, and to make intercession for them. Christ eternally is looking to save those that come unto God. It says, verse 26, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Now, there are a lot of mysteries in that one scripture alone. But the one I want to point out most particularly is how Christ is separate from sinners. So for those individuals out there claiming that Christians are sinners, they can't be. Christ is separate from sinners. To be Christian is to be Christ-like. This is fairly simple logic here. So if Christ is separate from sinners, how is that possible? unless we are free from sin. Well, the good news is Christ says he makes us free from sin. So that's easy and that's simple. And again, you're going to hear a lot more of that. The point is, if anyone out there is telling you to continue sinning or that it's okay or that you can't be free of it or that God can't do this or can't do that, they don't know their word. They don't know their word. But we have a lot of word for you to build your heart, build your mind, build your strength, build your knowledge of God Almighty, who is able to keep us from falling. See, a lot of people, they believe in a God, but not the God of all creation, not Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So as we learn of him, our life, man, it just moves forward with this incredible, incredible propulsion. <laughs> it really does. So anyway, if again, I'm going to reiterate that because this is really important. If anyone is telling you that it's okay to be a sinner or even worse, that you are a sinner, would you please reach out to us and we will send you the very thorough, specific Bible studies again to lift your heart and to edify you and to let you know that God loves you so much. He makes you free from sin, sickness, disease, shame, confusion, lies. God sets us free. 
Okay, verse 27, this is Hebrews 7. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once, speaking of Christ, when he offered up himself. For the law make men high priests which have infirmity. The law, religion, makes men, exalts men who have infirmities. I'm talking to the Catholic Church right now. Very specifically, and any so-called church that makes men with infirmities, these, quote, high priests that aren't led by the Holy Spirit. They're just they're just appointed by some board or some vote or some some anti-God infrastructure and bureaucracy. Well, God's calling those people to the mark right here and right now and every day, actually. He's calling, God calls them to the mark every day. So for the law, religion makes men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of oath, God's promises, which was since the law, makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. We get to rest in Jesus Christ of Nazareth as our high priest forevermore, who, by the way, has an unchangeable priesthood, unchangeable victory, unchangeable love and joy and peace. It's awesome. So as we rely on Jesus Christ... And as we say, Lord, I want all of you fill me with your Holy Spirit, then watch out because God is launching you into a new life, into hope evermore, into joy evermore, into love evermore, and into a life, a real life, not one of these false, false, uh, you know, constructs of, whoa, look how cool my life is. No. A real life where your heart just beats pure joy. That's real. And it's really for you. And that's what God wants for each one of us. So here, without further ado, I've got to get this message over to you because it's just incredible from our wonderful friend, Trish, a true prophet of God who waits on the Lord specifically for your soul to know what God Almighty has to say to you so that your life can be launched in new ways. So this message, it's a continuation from the previous couple weeks. This is called The Bigger Picture Part 4. But again, this message does stand alone. So if you didn't have the chance to hear it a couple weeks ago, don't sweat it. We've got it for you today. And you can always go back and review show archives as well to get The Bigger Pictures 1, 2, and 3. But um, if you haven't heard them, you're still going to really love this very life changing message from our wonderful friend, Trish. Here is The Bigger Picture, Part 4. Today, I'm going to continue on with a series I'm doing called The Bigger Picture. Now, this is Part 4 of The Bigger Picture. And what we've covered up to date, it's the journey the disciples had to journey through while Jesus processed through this life, out of this life, and ascended up to the throne of God. And it was quite an ordeal for them because they didn't know all of what was going to go on. And they had to take it one day at a time by faith and continue even when things looked like it was utter despair. Now we covered that 
in the messages I did earlier. In part three, Jesus had ascended up. He'd been crucified. He'd been laid in that tomb. He'd risen again. And they've seen him twice now. Now going on into John chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. So this is how he appeared to them this third time. They were gathered together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. So there were a group of them gathered together. Now remember, it hadn't been completed yet. Jesus now has appeared to them, but he would appear and he would disappear. They didn't have free, ready access to him. And they weren't quite sure yet what they were supposed to do or what's going to happen next. They were just in this state of wonderment. And here they were gathered together. And in verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Well, I don't know what we're going to do now. So I'm just going to go back to my old life and I'm going to go fishing. They said unto him, we also go with we. Well, we'll go with you. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Well, I found it was very significant. This It was nighttime. There was no light. It was nighttime. But when the morning was now come, here comes the light. Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, remember, he would just appear and be gone, be there, be gone. All of a sudden, there was someone standing on the shore. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. They didn't have any food. They were out there and in the dark getting nothing. Then he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, the light is on. Jesus gives them instruction, and he says, go to the right side of the ship. Stand on my right hand. Don't stand on the left with the goats. Stand on my right hand. Throw your net over the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. It was so full. It was so abundant. They couldn't even pull it in. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gird his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. While he was so excited and so earnest, he just threw himself in the sea. He wasn't going to wait for a boat to turn around and row, move its way into the shore. He just took off and jumped in that water and was going to head towards him. He was desperate. Do you know there are souls right now that are out there that are absolutely desperate? Well, your safe landing is on that shore, on solid ground, that rock, 
Christ Jesus. Head there now and you will find not only food, you'll find safety, warmth, comfort, and guidance. All right, so there he is. He jumped into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. So there they were, they're heading back, and they're dragging this net with them. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Well, it, that is like the Lord. He always has a meal prepared for you. When you come to him, it's guaranteed he will have a meal that your soul needs, what it longs for, what it needs, that sustenance, what it will take to keep your life and your soul full and going forward and in a healthy state. Jesus saith unto them, Bring up the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet not the net broken. And that's something, how God did that for them. There were so many fish, it was abundant. When you cast your net, you cast your heart, you cast your prayers, you cast your soul into the that water of the Lord, you will have a blessing so abundant and you won't lose any of it, but it will overflow to others in such a great abundance. Just go there. Well, here's Peter, he's dragging it in and it would, he never lost a fish, not one. When God gives you those beautiful souls, you're not going to lose them when they're his. That's what the Lord's showing me and showing them. Right there, you're not going to lose them. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Will you come and dine? The Lord's here today and telling you out there, come and dine. Just come with me now and dine. Eat of this beautiful meal that I've prepared for you today. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. I noted when I read that, 
The Lord had Peter repeat and vow to him three times, and it covered those three times that he denied him. The Lord countered it those three times with that absolute affirmation. There's a transition happening here, a process that's happening here in Peter's soul and even in his speech. Now it's going to progress as this word unfolds. You're going to see this incredible transformation going from, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm going to go home. Well, I'm going to just go out and start fishing again with no direction, no purpose. Well, God's going to place that purpose. He's going to place it down in Peter through this word, and he's placing it in you today with this word. Verse 18, verily, verily, this is Jesus speaking. I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. People of God, here's the transition. When you're a young soul and you come to the Lord, at first you're just very young and you're having to go through a process of grooming and training and purging and refining. But as you grow in the Lord, and as you obtain more of him and more from him and more understanding, your walk is going to become straightened and straightened. And that old man, those old ways and those old choices that you made will fall off and they'll be replaced with a different purpose, a different leading. You will go places that you didn't choose to go. You'll go those places that God the Father bids you to go. And he's saying, well, Peter, you're going to have another one lead you. That's what you're going to have. As you grow in the Lord, another will lead you. And Jesus gave that example to us when he came here. He didn't do his own thing. He said, I didn't come to do my own bidding. I came here to do the will of my Father. And that's the transition that Peter's going into. See, Peter, he went home. He went out fishing. He went where he wanted to go. He did what he wanted to do. But now there's the change. You're going to go where thou wouldest not. I did it before you, Peter, as an example. And you saw me up on that mountain. I prayed. And I asked if this cup could be taken from me and the Father and I knew there was no other thing but to drink of this cup and go forward. And he did. He did. He went all the way to the cross. And he was sacrificed, that blood sacrifice for all mankind, which stands to this day. And he sent that beautiful Holy Ghost back to the Father and went down into those nether parts and released captivity and he arose again that third day. And now he's here this third time speaking to them and finishing it out. And there's still yet more that's going to happen. And it's going to give Peter the equipment that he needs to have to go those places that his flesh wouldn't choose to go. But he'll go there because of the love and the beauty and the magnificent of the Lord and of that appointment of God. 
This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Here he lets Peter know not to expect ease and honor in taking up this walk, but trouble and persecution, and to suffer hostility for doing well. There it is. He's letting him know, Peter, this is what awaits you. You know, it's no different today. When you take a righteous stand and when you're fighting for righteousness, there's going to be opposition. You're going to see it. You can still see it today. Those that oppose wickedness, that endeavor to stand up for what is right and free people, give them their freedom to freely go forward in their lives. They're persecuted. They're afflicted. They're un attacked unrighteously so. You'll see it in many shapes, many forms, and many ways. And he says, Peter, this is what you can expect, but go forward in my truth, in my strength, and I will gird thee every step of the way. That is a promise. And he laid it down before him, and there he is standing in front of him with absolute victory over death. Absolute victory. And that gave Peter the courage to continue steadfast and a determination like never before. If you ever feel like it's too much, it's too much, get in your closet before the Lord. Get in your word. Just pray. Get your eyes focused on him. He will give you that ready, steady answer. And he will see you through because this is the guarantee. This is the guarantee. You win. At the end of this road, you win. And during this course, you win. Now, Peter, he started and embarked on that journey. You're going to see this as we read on. He's being girded up for it. He's being commissioned to it. And he knows what is waiting for him. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. He turned around and that disciple that Jesus loved was John. John, the one that wrote this book. And he turned around and he saw John following along with them, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? See, he's, he's speaking of John. John was the one that leaned on Jesus's breast and asked him, Jesus, who is it that's going to betray thee? And Jesus showed them by dipping that sop. And it was Judas Iscariot that betrayed him. So he's asking Jesus, well, what's John's commission? You've told me what I'm going to face and what I'm going to do. What about John? Tell us what he's going to do. So how did Jesus answer that? When here he gave Peter a commission. He gave Peter the vision and the declaration for his life and the course that he was going to go. And he says, okay, well, what about John? Why aren't you telling John where he's going to go? Here's Jesus's answer. When you start looking sideways at anybody, if you're looking to the left or the right or even behind you or in front of you, Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? Follow thou me. He says, so what? What if I tarry until he come? Peter, in other words, it's none of your business. 
What I deem for him to do or that one to do, it's none of your business. The only thing you need to be concerned with is what you need to do for me, you and I. Keep your eyes single before me. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. I remember there was a day when I was in my walk and by the time I came to the Lord and got filled with the Holy Ghost and embarked on this journey, I'd already had it with this world, with this life. I'd had it. I was sickened with it. I literally wanted out of this life. I'd had enough. And I was earnestly praying, Lord, just take me out of this life. It's awful. This is a wicked place. I don't want to be here. I wouldn't do it of my own hand. I knew better. That wasn't my intent there. I wasn't suicidal by any means. I didn't entertain that spirit. I was just beseeching the Lord. I've had enough. Just, you know, Lord, lift me out of this life. And the Lord said, no, no, it's not your hour. There's things yet that you need to do. There's children yet that you need to birth and bring forward, both in the natural and in the spirit. It's not your hour yet. And I just, oh, I was grieved at the thought that I had to stay here, but I was obedient to it. I was absolutely obedient to it. But my heart stooped and I got, oh, I have to put up with all of this. Okay, Lord. And I was just a, a mother and a housewife and I went over and I went to do my dishes. So I'm standing at my sink and I'm looking down at the sink and starting to wash these dishes. And then all of a sudden I could hear these angels singing and I'm going, what is this Lord? And the Lord, he's so kind. He knows when our hearts are stooped and he knows what each one needs and he knows how to encourage each one. Now, I've always been a seer. The Lord has always opened my eyes into heavenly visions and revelations. And the Lord was so kind to my soul at that moment because he knew I would do whatever he bid me to do. And I heard these angels sing and I looked up. And when I looked up, I saw all of a sudden the area in front of me began to translate. And I literally looked in and I saw that heavenly gates that you enter into, that eastern gate when you enter in before the Lord. I was projected ahead into a time yet appointed. And I saw an apostle that brought me to the Lord who was still with us at that time. But in this visitation, he'd already gone on to the Lord. He was with God the Father in that heavenly courts the courts of glory above all the heavens. It was above all the heavens. It was in the throne of God where Jesus ascended up to above all the heavens in that glorious throne room with God in that beautiful habitation. And I saw this apostle because he's the one that birthed me. And so he got to lead and he had this big smile these beautiful pearly whites. And I'm going, the pearly gates that you enter in, that's the smile of the Lord. That's his smile. And I entered in and he was leading this choir. And I looked up and there were thousands, tens upon thousands of angels in this big horseshoe shape. And they were up in rows, row upon row. And they were singing the hallelujah chorus. 
And Brother Bob, he was just leading them. And the Lord was there and he spoke and he says, this will be what it's like when you enter in. A great rejoicing, a great glorious rejoicing. And I wept and the joy of it was so great. And at that time, like I said, I was very young. And there were ones out there that read me wrong. They read me wrong because the natural mind will read you wrong. Just like he's telling Peter, you're going to suffer affliction. You're going to suffer persecution. That natural mind is enmity with me. It wars against me. And all of these hard thoughts were coming against me, trying to convince me that I had this error and this flaw. And the Lord said, he, he showed me what I looked like to him. What does the human soul look like to God the Father, to the Lord? And he took my human carcass in this vision and he peeled it away. And it peeled away and all that I saw was my heart in the spirit. And it was absolutely pure. That beautiful soul, that beautiful heart that God will go to the ends of the earth for that he gave his life for that beautiful heart. And I gasped. And he says, this is what you look like to me. He looks past all of it. He looks for that heart. And he says, this is what happens when the flesh touches that heart. And the hand of man reached down and touched that heart. And just the tiniest little touch, it marred and scarred that heart. It left a a marred wound. And he says, this is why you have to be so guarded and so careful with your words and how you handle one another. You can wound that beautiful heart. So we do have a covering from the Lord that protects us. He will heal those wounds, those that have been wounded by this life and by the ravages of this world. Go to him, he'll heal you. And then he took me and he just said, come with me. And he showed me different ones that I knew at that time. And he would point to this one and he said, I don't expect the same things of this one that I expect of that one. And I don't, and he'd take me over to another one. He said, I don't expect the same things of that one that I expect of this one. He said, every soul has a different appointment and each one has a different course, and they're not all alike, each one according to my purpose. And I knew from that, from that moment on, I never saw the human soul the same way. I saw them from the vantage point that God had, and I would always watch for his purpose in each life. I wasn't given to criticism or looking sideways at them. I would always go to the Lord and just use his eyes and feel from his heart and know that each soul has that absolute purpose that God designed them for and each one was different. And you know, all of that harsh, natural-minded judgment, the judgment that comes out from the reasonings of the flesh just disappeared. It's not part of the equation in my walk. 
It has no place. It has no footing. It doesn't belong. Now, see, this is what he's telling Peter. Peter, uh-uh, you're not going to think that way anymore. You get your eyes straight ahead. You just look at me. You just listen to me. And you just do what I tell you to do. One day at a time. One step at a time. One heartbeat. One breath at a time. So he's teaching him these things. So there's Peter learning something very, very wonderful. And Jesus said unto him, I'm going to repeat it again. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad amongst the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he should not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? See, they're still trying to reason it in their own mind. What Jesus was declaring for this one and that one. There are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Well, as it was, as things played out, from what I understood of what I've studied, all of the apostles at that time and, and the one to come, Paul, were all sacrificed. Uh, were all martyred in one form or another, except for that beloved John. And John lived out a full life before the Lord, and it was the purpose of God for him to do that. And he was found in his old age sitting upon the temple's uh, porch, and he would just say to them, love one another love one another. And they got tired of hearing it. But you know, God found it significant and important and necessary to remind the human soul, because there was so much hatred, there was so much hardness of heart, to leave that one testimony to them, that one voice that would remain and continue to say to love one another. And he says that to this day. There was an absolute purpose in God for him tucking John away and preserving him. Just like there was an absolute purpose for everything that Peter did. There was an absolute purpose for everything that all of those disciples that went on to become apostles and go forth and bring the word across the land for Paul. They all had a certain course, a certain perfect working that God needed to establish on the face of this earth. Take courage, people of God. Take courage and continue steadfast. Just do what God gives you to do. And pray for those that are getting hit right now with afflictions on every side. Pray for one another. Pray for strengthening for each and every one, that there can be a loosening and a freeing all throughout the history. You read about it, how these strong personalities stood up and had that appointment of God to bring down those high places that warred against him, that fought against righteousness. 
and against the truth. Stand for the truth and support it. Well, now things are going to get interesting. He said, I suppose the world could not contain the books that should be written. There's so much that Jesus did. If it were all written out, it would burn us up. It's so powerful. Amen. So be it. Now we're going to move forward into Acts. We're going to go into Acts 1. Here's where it gets really interesting. Now, Peter's getting a taste of it. Peter's getting some instruction where before he didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know where he was going to go. Here we are. He's going forward. Acts 1. The former treatise have I made. O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now he gave them all these commandments to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now we've moved on here, and now we're getting another outline Jesus has come. He was with us for 40 days. He gave this instruction for 40 days. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Okay, they're getting their instructions now. Okay, you guys, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Oh boy, they're going to wait. There's a promise coming, which saith he, ye have heard of me. He's reminding them, I told you this. You're going to receive this promise that I told you about. Just stay here. Stand fast and wait and believe. People of God, there's going to be those times through your walk. Just stand fast and believe for that promise. Wait and watch for it. It will unfold. If God's promised, he will not break that promise. Stand fast. There they are. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He says it's going to come. You're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You just stand fast. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he says, okay, are you going to come back? Are you going to resurrect everything? Are you going to restore things back? Jesus again, having to steady that natural reasoning and wanting to know everything and race ahead. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. It's not for you to know the day that I'm going to return and finish all things. It's not for you to know all the times and the seasons that the Father has ordained. It's for the Father to know. It's for you to stand fast, unmovable in faith and confidence with God. Just keep going. Wait for that promise. You will receive it. Just stand fast. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There's your promise, people of God. Do you know that applies today? Do you know that infilling of the Holy Ghost and that power is given today? If you haven't received it, you've desired it, and God's spoken in your heart, and he's promised it to you, believe it, you will receive it. There's no time like now. Ask for it and receive it. Those of you that have it, and God has promised you a great promise, stand fast on it and know that you will receive it. And this word does go out even now over the uttermost part of the earth to this very day. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him up out of their sight. So they're standing there. He's in front of them. He's telling Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth is standing there. And all of a sudden he's going up. He's ascending up into the clouds. He's ascending up above all heavens. And he's standing at the right hand of the father in the throne of glory. People of God aspire to that. Aspire to that. Tell the Lord, I set my sights there, Lord. Help me to it. Give me this, Lord. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now see, they can only see up into a certain level. Jesus, he ascended beyond their sight above all those heavens and he ascended up into the throne of God where God is in his glory, right up there. That's why he disappeared because he kept going up beyond their sight. So they're still looking up into those layers that we see around this earth. But God went up above that, the son of God. He said, why are you looking up there? Mm-hmm. He says, he's going to come back. He's going to come back again one day. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Now, remember how Jesus told them, he says, okay, you go here, you stay there. You're going to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He told them what to do. See, they weren't wondering, well, what are we going to do now? Maybe we should go home. Maybe we should go fishing. No, Jesus came and he gave them direction. He gave them a commission and they were going to do it. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James. Now Judas here is actually Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You'll read it in Jude 1. It describes who that is. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He was referred to as Judas then, just like Peter was referred to as Simon. So that's who they're speaking of. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. 
And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So there are about 120 of them up in that room. And there's Peter. He's right there. Jesus told them, you gather together. This is going to happen. Peter, he did tend to race ahead, tend to try and reason things out in his own mind. Now, remember, they're having to wait for that infilling of that Holy Ghost to land upon them and fill them. So it hasn't quite yet come, but Peter, he's just taking charge here. And he says, man and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Now he's talking about what Judas did. Over in Psalms 41, 9, it was preordained for Judas to portray Jesus. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which ye did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. He says, Judas was with us. He was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. That's what he says in verse 17. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Well, here's the latter end of this 12th disciple who was numbered with us. He's gone now. Over in Matthew, I'm going to give a little background on what happened to Judas. What happens to a betrayer? What happens when you sell out? What's the mark that befalls you? It's quite something. Matthew 27 and verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, speaking of Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, when he saw what actually happened to Jesus, he repented himself. He repented and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He just said, oh, what have I done? And he took those 30 pieces of silver and he took it back to the elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Look at their answer back to him. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. It's your problem. That's your problem. What, what do we care? We don't care. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. He just threw that blood money down. And he went out and hanged himself. Judgment. Absolute judgment of God. When you usurp the authority over God, you go down. He didn't wait for God to take him out of this life. He took it into his own hands. That devil took him. He took him, his greed for money took him. He betrayed Christ. His heart is pierced. Now he's handed over to a spirit of suicide. But he was handed over to those things because he played into the hands and he bought into the bribe of the enemy in the bribe of Satan. And there was no out for him then. So he tried to find an out and he went and hung himself. Mm -hmm. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, 
because it is the price of blood. Well, look at the hypocrisy here. We can't have this money seen in our accounts. We can't put this money in our bank accounts because then it could be traced back. And this is blood money. This is a bribe that was used to kill an innocent man. We can't be seen doing that. So we got to put it into something else. And they took counsel. So how are we going to hide this blood money? And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Okay, they put them in and it looked like a charitable act that they were doing. Oh, well, let's go um, buy a field for people that are strangers so they, they can be buried in this field. Let's do a charitable act and then it'll look just fine. That'll keep it a step away from us and it'll look like a good deed. I see that often even today in ones that have wicked deeds flourishing in their lives. It's just common act every day, performing these wicked deeds and these evil things before the Lord. And it does sear the conscience, if there is a conscience, but they're seared. So in order to ease the conscience, they will um, do some charitable act. You know, the do-gooder movement and pat themselves on the back and give each other accolades to ease their conscience. That does go on even today. And they did it back then. They do it today. Same spirit. There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. You'll see it. So there they are. They bought this field. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. It's called the field of blood. You know, they weren't fooling anyone. They did get it a step away from them, but it was traceable because God traced it. God knows everything. There isn't anything hid from God. So let's go on in verse 19 of Acts 1. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a seldoma. That is to say, the field of of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. He lost his place, and another took it. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Well, here they go. Peter's racing ahead and he says, well, we got to appoint somebody else to fill his place. And they appointed two. Joseph called Barasabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So they got their heads together and they looked for the criteria and they picked out two of them. Well, I want to let you know that a panel of people cannot ordain. It's God that ordains. It's God that does the picking. So if you have a deacon board that's picking who's going to fit which role, it's going to fall short. It's going to fall short or whatever structure there is in an organization, that's man's structuring. Again, the natural mind needs to be removed out of this process. 
It's a process of God and it is God appointed and you will know and see that anointing because as they waited and as time went by, there was one that God appointed, the most unlikely of all, and it was Paul. He became that 12th apostle. He filled that place, but it happened down the road over time. God appointed him. But here they are. We got to get somebody in there. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the heart of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go in his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered among the eleven apostles. Well, what was interesting is Matthias is never mentioned again after this. Well, they, you know, put their little votes in there and Matthias came up, but he was never mentioned again. I'm sure he was honored by the Lord and he had a part that he filled, but God has his appointments. Go by that appointing. Know by the spirit who truly has the anointing of God. You will know it when you wait upon the Lord and you hear his voice, you will recognize his voice. When you have his mind, you will recognize his mind because it will be the same mind. It'll be the same anointing. It'll be that same familiar voice of Jesus when he called Mary by name and she recognized his voice. When, when John was in the boat and he recognized Jesus, when they knew him, they sat amongst him and they heard him, they knew it was him. That's how you'll know. When you have the infilling of his Holy Spirit in you, doing those things that God tells you to do, fulfilling those things that God tells you to fulfill, you will know, you will know by that. That's what I listen for. That's what I watch for. That's what I hear in my life and in my walk. Mm -hmm. So let's go on into Acts 2 and see how this unfolds. So they think they've got a nice, neat package here, but they're doing what God showed them to do. They're doing what they knew and understood to do. And they're moving forward in the work of the Lord. He's told them, you just stay right there. Stay right there until it's complete. Now over in Acts 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, Jesus said, don't move, just go gather here. So there they were. They were in that one place waiting. The Holy Ghost came down at the time of a solemn feast because there was then a great assembling of people to Jerusalem from all parts of the country. And the new believers from other countries, which make it the more public, and the fame of it to be spread the sooner and further, which would contribute to the spreading and promotion of the gospel unto all nations. God's appointment and his timing is so exact. He knew exactly when to loose that Holy Ghost on them. He got them very quiet. He got them very focused. And I'm watching God do that right now with that core, steady, stable people of God. They're very focused. They're in their prayer closet. They're praying together in a unified prayer that's not moved. 
It's set. It's focused. Remember that for all your days. Stand steadfast on that. They have a unified cry before him. And God was waiting for all of the ones that he needed, all of the known groups and areas to come together from all the different surrounding countries. They all came together in that one place, in that one mind, in that one understanding, in that one focus place. Their understanding wasn't full yet. It will become. But he gathered all the people together in one place from all the different nations at that time. And they had all the different ones at that solemn feast. And suddenly, that's the moment God chose once they'd all arrived. And suddenly they came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Could you imagine? You know, I heard a recording. It was done many, many years ago. And there was a group of people up in this country, way up in Alaska, I believe it was, or in the Northwest Territories. And they actually had it recording. It was a very old recording, but they had it recorded and you could hear that Holy Ghost come into the room and that loud noise of that rushing wind and the people in the room crying out in just absolute elation. The fire, the fire, it actually manifest. So it has manifested again on, upon the face of the earth. It does manifest individually in different ways, some with a great demonstration, some quietly in your room, but you will know it. You will feel it. Mine was very personal. I was laying on my bed and it came upon me. The Lord filled me with his Holy Spirit and it burst out of me in the most beautiful heavenly language. And I was filled with his spirit. Oh, Lord God. And others, it just manifests as they wait upon him. Each one, remember, you don't compare yourself with anyone else. You just do it the way Jesus gives it to you. One-on-one -on -one between you and him, he will do it. And it will line up with the word. So there they were. This rushing mighty wind comes in and it fills the house and all they were sitting there, and there appeared, in verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation unto heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Here it is. It is launched. It's launched. Can you imagine the excitement as they ran out into the streets filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in all these other languages. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They couldn't understand it because that every man heard them speak in his own language 
and they were all amazed and marveled. Well, here we are, this great orchestration, this great demonstration, here enters natural reasoning. They marveled. They looked at him and go, okay, what is this? Saying one to another, they start talking with each other. Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Well, here comes the natural reasonings. Aren't these all Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? I'm going to skip down to verse 11 here because it lists all the different cities and nations that were represented there. Remember the wisdom of God that gathered them all together? He knows their comings and goings. He knows their rituals. He knows their ways. He knows when they're going to gather. And he picked a time when they were all gathered there. All right, let's skip down to verse 11 and we're going to start. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Isn't that something how God did that? He anointed them. They'd never learned that language. They didn't know what they were speaking, but they just poured out through the Holy Ghost this language that spoke to each one that was there. And they were all amazed. And here again, the natural mind, here's Satan. And we're in doubt, the spirit of doubt, unbelief, saying one to another, what meaneth this? What in the world is this? What the heck is this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. These guys are all drunk. That's all this is. They're just drunk. Isn't that something reasoning away? Someone that could actually speak in a language they've never been taught and saying that alcohol could do it, that being drunk could cause them to speak in a language they've never been taught. It's bizarre. There's absolute infallible proof right in front of their faces, and they deny it. They all, oh, it doesn't prove anything. They must be drunk. They have some reasoning that reasons away from the truth and the evidence that's right, demonstrated right in front of them. Do you know those things happen today? It's the same today. That natural mind, that opposing mind, that's enmity with God, that fights against him. So what happened then? Here we have the launch. Here it is. What Peter did not have up till this point, he now has. Watch this. But Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken. Do you see how that word goes out to counter their lie? This is true what you're seeing. They're not drunk, as ye suppose seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's too soon. The bars aren't even open, guys. In other words. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He was talking to people that knew those old scrolls and knew that Old Testament and knew the word. This is what the prophet Joel was talking about. Now, see, he's starting to open their eyes. 
He's going to reveal some things here. It's so wonderful when you hear the truth, it will set you free. It will get the lies and just send it flying for those that have ears to hear it. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Do you know that that is happening today? That is happening right now. The Lord God is pouring his spirit out upon all flesh. And you're seeing it like, I mean, magnifying and increasing in magnitude. The visions and the dreams and the prophecies coming forth all over the globe. And you will see a unified voice and vision coming forward. And you'll see They'll say it in their own terms, in their own words, according to how God gave it to them, according to their understanding, but they'll be saying the same thing, just in the way that they received it and understand it, and in the way that God gave it to them, whether it be a dream, whether it be a vision, whether it be a revelation, the word of prophecy, whether he sits them down and have it right out a little at a time, over days or months or years until it's that complete verse and that complete word. Each one, according to the working of God, do we need to look left or right and point fingers left or right? No, watch for that common mind. Watch for that common thread. Watch for that voice of God that you hear in your own ear, in your soul, in your heart, once you've received his Holy Ghost, the infilling of his spirit. Well, here's Peter. He's crying it out. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day. It is, it is. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on that name of the Lord. If you've never come to him before, call on him and you will be saved out of great dearth and despair and destruction. And those of you that have his spirit, call out on the name of the Lord now for wisdom and strength and guidance and direction and power and authority. Call out on the name of the Lord. Call out. It is the hour for it. This is the hour for it. Mm -hmm. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. He still does that to this day. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's talking to the very ones that cried out, crucify him, crucify him, that conspired, that gathered together. He says, this is what you've done. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Man and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. There you have it. He's recounting to them their very understanding of the word, what was proclaimed through King David. And King David proclaimed it, believing for it, having to leave this life, but he left that word to be fulfilled. And people, that word was fulfilled that day. And he's recounting it to them. And he said, this same Jesus, here he is. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. King David knew of it, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. We all witnessed it right here. We're standing here to tell you today we witnessed it. Can you imagine what they're hearing in their ears right then and there? Well, you're hearing it again today. Jesus is raised. He is here. He does dwell amongst us in the incarnation of the Holy Ghost in flesh today. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, Having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. This is what you're seeing. It's not people drunk running around. It's not people making up stuff. You're actually seeing the manifestation of what God said would come. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. People, this is what you're seeing. This is what you're hearing. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And that's something he's saying today, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes or thine enemies thy footstool. There's a promise. I'm going to put your enemies under your feet. There's a promise. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You crucified him. 
This same Jesus, he's risen. And what you're seeing right now through the land and what you're hearing is the manifestation of that promise that King David said was going to come in your very word, in your very scripture. Here it is for any that have the heart, that have the mind to seek it out. Get in your word. Get before God and discover how great and magnificent he is. It's absolutely here. It's here now. That's what you're seeing, what you're hearing. And they all had to bear witness to it. They're standing there. And look what happens after Peter released that word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and released it to them. In verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Their hearts were convicted and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, tell us what should we do? We've erred greatly. All of a sudden, the lights have gone on. We believed a lie. We were handed a, a lie and we bought into it. We fell for it lock, stock and barrel. We rose up and followed along with it. And oh, what have we done? How can we make this right? How can we make this right? Then Peter said unto them, see, there is an answer. Repent. Repent from your ways. Repent means to turn around. Say, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Lord, you show me the right way to go. Lord, lead me with your truth. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That everything that you have done up to this point can be washed away. God will forgive you. And when you do this, when you repent and decide, I'm going to do it different now, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you stumbled anywhere along the way and fallen short of the fullness of everything that Jesus gave his life to give you, just say, Lord, I didn't know that there was this much. Please, Lord, I want all of it. Show me how to obtain all of it. And for those of you that have all of it, receive those that are looking for it and do exactly what Peter said for them to do. Baptize them under those holy hands for the remission of sins, not to retain sins, to have all their sin washed away. So from that moment forward, they will have direction because they will be led by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost will give them that direction. And the, under your tutelage, you'll know how to raise them up in it when you truly have been raised in it yourself. But you truly have to have that purging, that cleansing, that clarity, and that instruction that you've gotten directly from God. And dear souls out there, if you want it, it is available to you. It is available. Just like it was made available to them there, it's made available today. And any that want to go deeper, it's made available to you now, today. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm going to repeat that again. I'm going to go back to verse 38. 
And here's what Peter said unto them. Then Peter said unto them, repent, get rid of all the past. Say, I'm going to do it all new and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You'll get this ability too. You'll get this power and authority too. You'll get this beautiful leading too. Mm -hmm. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know, God is saying that now, today. He says, save yourself from this untoward generation that has greatly erred out there in many ways. If you're following after unrighteousness and ungodly deeds, turn it around, turn it around. And those of you that have that turnaround in your life, and are walking forward in the fullness of Christ, help them. Be open, be available, and continue steadfast with your eyes pointed directly at God. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now I want you to recognize here that there was a qualifier in this statement. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Not all of them. It doesn't say that all of them were baptized. Because there's a mixed multitude out there. But the ones that gladly received the word of God, they were the ones that were baptized. Watch for that qualifier, people. Watch for that. And there were added 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Do you see how they joined together? Do you see how they came out from the lies and joined with the truth? And they continued in it. Breaking in bread, they kept breaking that word open. Reading one to another. Being fed that truth from the Holy Ghost through that anointing in Peter and all the other apostles and those that have received that infilling of the Holy Ghost. It went out and people were receiving it and in prayer. Do you see how they have to continually get prayed up? Jesus showed us that example. He would deliver the word to the multitudes and then he would go away and get up in a quiet place up on the mount or wherever he was and he would get restored again. He'd pray to the Father and get filled up again. His eyes always upon the Father, always. And he would get his instruction again there. So stay prayed up, people of God. Don't go off in your own way. Listen to what the Father has to say and follow that. And do it with all meekness and humility. He'll lead you perfectly. And you'll learn, you'll learn, you'll learn his voice. He'll straighten you, he'll purge you and correct you and build you. Oh, it's a beautiful walk. Just go with him in it. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles that feared that reverence for God. 
that absolute recognition of his power and his authority and his might. Do you know it would be a wonderful thing to see that come across this land in a fullness and get rid of all the cockiness and the blatant disregard for what's good and holy, for a great fear, a great reverence, and a respect for God Almighty. Lord God, see it be so. But stand you in that place. Stand you in the fear and reverence of the Lord, knowing he's God of all creation, and he is not a God that can be mocked, because he sees it all. He saw what Jude did, and Jude received his reward. He saw each heart. He knows each heart. No matter how cocky they get, or how mouthy they get, or how they beat their own chest or pat their own back, nobody's getting away with anything. God sees it all. Sooner or later, in this life or the life to come, they will answer. Always, every man does good and evil. Each one receives their reward accordingly. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They saw one another's needs. They weren't greedy for filthy lucre and gain of their own. If they had it by them, they gave it to anyone that needed it. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know the people of God, the true people of God live that way today? I know I do. I know I do. If I see my brother hath need and I have it in my hand to give it to them, I do. We take care of one another. The true church of God doesn't just rake it in for their own self or their own use. They take care of one another. It's true. And that's how you'll know a church is true. They won't be raking for money. They'll be feeding you and building you, and caring for you, and tendering, and you'll be taught to do the same, one toward another. It's the most beautiful thing. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Look at that. There was no division or confusion amongst them. The true church of God, you will not see division and confusion. They will have the same mind, the same heart. They won't be walking up to each other and saying, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong. No, not when it's at the anointed word of God, because you'll have the same mind and the same heart. It's different when someone's being groomed. There's a process of God for that grooming. It's a difference. But God is so beautiful. You'll see that they'll all have the same heart and the same mind. And there won't be a divisive nature. There won't be divisive behavior. And people won't be giving each other the hairy eye. Well, the hairy eye. I, I call it that, that sideward glance, that critical eye. Critical eye is a, probably a better term. That hairy eye is just, oof, it's repulsive. That's why I call it that. It just repulses me when they look at each other and scrutinize and pick and find fault. That's not God. That's Satan. Remember they did that when they looked around? All oh, these men must be drunk, trying to find some fault. No, that's not God. When you're amongst the true people of God, they will be unified. They will love one another. And there'll be this sweet, common flow amongst each other and the same mind. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It's God's call. It's God's leading. It's God's purpose. He is in control and he will bring into the church and he will add to the church daily every day as we continue upon the face of this earth such as should be or that he's appointed to be saved. Go forward, dear saints of God. Go forward, dear hungry souls. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord this day and go after it with all your heart with all your might, and obtain everything that God has for you, asking him to ensure you don't fall short in anything or in any wise, and he will take you the full course that he has deemed for your soul to go. Bless God, each and every one of you that desire him, the Lord make an avenue for you to receive when your hearts are sincere. Lord bless you is my prayer. And that was our wonderful friend, Trish, and the fourth and final episode of The Bigger Picture, how to launch a new life through the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ in Nazareth as our propellant in that rocket ship. It's an awesome thing. Hope the Lord blessed you through that. And as you just heard, she said, as we seek God, he will create the path for us. He will make it clear. He will push out any and all obstacles and make that straight and narrow path for us to remain on for all the days of our life as we have that tender heart before him, as we have that seeking heart before him. Well, we now have a beautiful message. And, you know, Get Your Love on Radio, we have an entire team um, that is focused on delivering the Word of God and the truth of His Word to you in whatever way it's um, easiest for you to get it. And so we have this podcast, that's what you're listening to right now, or this live radio show on 100.1 FM. We also have this incredible very robust video series on YouTube. So if you're a YouTube subscriber and you're really familiar with that platform, please feel free to go to our Get Your Love On YouTube channel. And that's where you'll find now 40 different episodes of this particular series called The Sermon on the Mount, where our wonderful friend Corey goes through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount and its breadth and depth in great thorough teaching. And every message, every video that's up is about 10 to 15 minutes long. And so it, it's a really, really good way to maybe on your commute to work or maybe in between, um, you know, getting your kids fed and getting them off to bed. Well, however you want to find time to get this content, it's available for you. So I wanted to offer a sample of it this morning. This is episode 39. You just heard how wonderfully personal God is and how wonderful that launching uh, into a life of faith is and how an anointing, it's not some pious word 
It's not something that's way out there. It's something that's very personal that God gives to each one of us that ask for it. And so this particular episode of episode 39 on the Sermon on the Mount series allows us to understand even further what that means to be anointed of God. So we wanted to give you a sample of this. The full uh, episode is up on YouTube. Here's our wonderful friend, Corey. This is episode 39 of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that spiritual anointing, when we're, our mind is anointed by the Holy Ghost, that's not something that can be perceived or understood by the mind of man. The natural mind can't see it. That's why the Lord says this. He says, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father which is seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. See, man can't see that. Natural mind can't see that appointment of God. They'll look at it and say, well, what are you doing that for? It's just foolishness. Why would you stop eating for however long a period? Whether it's a few days or a few weeks, it's the anointing of God on it. But again, however long it lasts, we still have that beautiful outward show before God. Not glorifying the suffering of the flesh, we're glorifying God. And God will reward us openly for that. Now, when he says God rewards us openly, I'll touch on something here. It says, why of all things was olive oil used to show the appointment of God? You think about it. Of all the things God could have used, he picked olive oil. It seemed kind of odd. Well, it becomes very apparent when you look up the meaning of oil in the scripture. Now, in the original Hebrew, back in the Old Testament where they did this, the word oil means to shine. You know, when you rub oil on your skin or on your face, what does it do? It makes it shine and glisten. That's the appointment of God on us. When that anointing comes on a soul, those that can perceive by the Spirit, they see that shine that comes on them. It's very apparent. I'm not not talking about people are physically glowing or anything like that. And that that has happened. I've heard reports of different times where someone had a particular anointing and they literally did physically glow. It could physically be seen. But it's a spiritual perception. When someone has that anointing from God, they shine in the spirit, whether it's a small task or a big task. And those that have the spiritual eyes to see it by the Holy Ghost, they'll perceive it. Be like that shine. In, that, in the mind's eye. It's very apparent. It's very conspicuous. So that's, that's why God chose oil to be that anointing, because of the effect it has on the perception of others in the Spirit. Isn't that neat? And again, that was a small sample of episode 39, just illustrating how incredible it is when we ask the Lord, Lord, show me a little bit more in your word how he answers that perfectly for us, and it expands the meaning of what it is to be fully anointed and have that shine through the Holy Spirit. And of course, when we do walk in the Spirit, that's a pretty common statement. Wow, you're, you've got the glow right now today, or what makes you so happy? That's the shine of the Holy Spirit. Or man, you've got a great smile. That's the shine of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we get to do before the Lord. Let our light shine. Let him launch us into a whole new life of faith, having our word 
having again the fivefold ministry, which this entire radio show is based on the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're here for the perfecting of your soul, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. It was a blessing being here with you today. You can always go to getyourloveon.org for show archives, Bible studies, more teaching, and of course, as you just heard, some further video references as well. Hope you have an incredible week. Lord bless you mightily. We'll be back next week. Until then, keep marching forward in faith. Don't let it die, don't let it die, no, 